All right, our topic tonight, uh, the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, the four great beasts. And we've, uh, well, Daniel chapter 7, verse 3, four great beasts came up out of the sea, each different from the other. And there's a lot of significance here. We're going to see four. We're going to look at all four of these different beasts, four great beasts, and they come up out of the sea. That's significant also. Each word is there for a reason. So it's not just, you know, just whatever, some uh, poetry or just some, you know, picturesque. No, the sea has meaning as well. So all four of them come up out of the sea. Now, we're not going to have time to get into the sea aspect tonight, but we will cover that another time. But all four come up out of the sea, and each one is different from the other, and that also is significant. So, now this parallels Daniel chapter 7, parallels Daniel chapter 2. They go together. All the prophecies in Daniel, as well as Revelation, all go together and fit into the same timeline over and over and over again, repeating each other. The book of Daniel is not chronological, neither is the book of Revelation chronological. It does the same thing like Daniel. Each segment goes back to the, to the time of the prophet and then takes us to the very end of time. So that's what Daniel 2 did. We're going to see that's what Daniel 7 does the same thing. Starts at the time of Daniel and goes all the way to the end of time. And the same with the book of Revelation goes to the time of the prophet, all the way to the end of time, over and over again. So, we had the statue, there were four medals in the statue, four great medals, four medals, and in this uh, Daniel 7, we've got four beasts, four great beasts uh, mentioned here. And we're going to see they parallel exactly through. Now, just like there were four medals in the statue, there are five segments to the statue. Right? There's the head of gold, silver, bronze, iron, but then iron also in the, in the feet. And the feet are iron mixed with clay. And if you missed Daniel chapter 2, you can see it on shalomadventure.com and, 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 and see, see it or review it uh, if you want there. And, and so the same here, we got four great beasts, but we're going to see five divisions tonight. And even with Daniel uh, 2, there's a sixth where the stone comes and destroys the statue and all the metals and becomes an everlasting kingdom representing the Messiah's coming and making all things new and getting rid of all the old. Making new heavens, new earth, and eliminating all the old. Right? And so also Daniel 7 will do the same thing. It'll have uh, four great beasts with five and then even another segment. And so each chapter reviews but then expands. And we'll see some expansion in Daniel chapter 7 tonight and as we continue in the studies as well. So, let's look at the first beast, the first, verse 4, the, Daniel 7. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. So the first one, is uh, this first beast is specific. You can visualize it. It looks like a lion and it has eagle's wings on it. And, uh, and so that's very, very specific. When we think of lions, as far as the animal kingdom... Right? Today, I don't know if it was the same then, but, but today we think of lions, we think of them as the king of the beast. Right? They're the king of the, of the animal kingdom. Very strong, very powerful. Uh, can take down a, a giraffe many times its size. Um, and so very, very uh, ferocious and, and dangerous animals. Very strong king with their loud roar, which can be heard for miles. And when we think of the birds, right? the, the most powerful bird or the biggest bird or among them, uh, a raptor bird that uh, eats other birds. We certainly have the eagle fitting into that description. And many nations claim that eagle as their symbol because, again, that might and that power and that, 
status symbol. And so here we see this being used, this, this parallel for the land beast and the bird of the, of the, like some of the most mighty ones in each category, a lion and an eagle. Now in Daniel chapter two, and so this is gonna parallel the head of gold. And when we think of metals, right? Gold is certainly up there in the, the king of the metals, right? The top of the metals. Uh, when, you know, in the Olympics, you know, that's the highest medal you can get. You know, okay, we have medals, platinum records and stuff like that, you know, but, but as far as the Olympics, gold is up there. And as far as finances, you know, gold is still up there uh, with value and prestige. And so, uh, so that head of gold paralleling the, the lion and the eagle's wings certainly is a good match, and we'll see so even more. So in Daniel chapter 2, it told us specifically, Daniel said, that Nebuchadnezzar was that head of gold. And not so much individually Nebuchadnezzar, but his kingdom, the Nebuchadnezzar kingdom. Really not even just the Nebuchadnezzar kingdom, but all the Babylon, Babylonian kingdom, including his son and grandson. That kingdom was represented by the head of gold gold. And as we see these prophecies, we're looking at metals, we're looking at now beasts. It's not talking about individuals, right? So even though they're beastly characters and stuff like that, doesn't mean any individual is a beastly character. And as we see it representing nations and, and powers, it's not, again, talking about the people in that nation uh, individually, right? So if no one's a beastly, it doesn't mean a negative thing about it, it's just describing them, right? Babylon was a very rich kingdom, had a lot of gold, a big statue of gold and gold in its temple. And so gold was a very good description of it. And so same when we look at these beasts, it's just describing generalities, whether for good or for bad, that's not the issue. It's just the apt description of the nation as a whole. It doesn't mean that people in that nation are lost or saved. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, we believe, was saved. Um, and, and no doubt some other Babylonian people. And so uh, again, doesn't mean whether they're saved or lost just because they're being described as a beast or a metal or these various different things, okay? It's just going down the timeline of history is what's taking place. And that'll be very key as we continue on and get into some more details of some things, especially as it takes us to our day, right? So we're not going to look at it judging people or judging nations. It's just describing what is taking place uh, with the various powers that are uh, interacting with God's people. So the first one, the first kingdom, was the head of gold in the statue representing Babylon. Well, the, the, the lion and the leopard is described in this Daniel chapter 7, the first beast. And there's Barbara there standing in front of the Ishtar gate. And you see a very impressive gate. And this is the actual stones that were taken uh, from the Ishtar gate and reassembled and just really massive. I mean, and it was a long, long, long corridor that, they, that the people would have to come in through to enter into Babylon through the Ishtar Gate. And so as they captured a nation and brought their king and brought their people and brought their army uh, in chains and subjection, subjection, they're going through these high, high, through these high walls with guards on top of the walls. And it's very, it makes you feel very small. Right? So it's just to bring everybody else down, they're small, and Babylon is big and great and powerful. Right? And on this Ishtar gate, you see there's lots of animals there. Well, there are a ton of them that are lions. And you see on either side of me, there's just lions. And, and pretty accurate, pretty good uh, uh, decorating or carving or artwork uh, in making this 3D relief into tile and having these lions just all throughout this whole corridor 
just lined with lions. And so Daniel, God gives Daniel a vision, and he shows them as, or a dream, shows them as lions, shows Babylon as these lions. And again, that's a very easy uh, description to, to parallel them with. Here's Barbara again, standing in front of two huge statues of lions' bodies with wings. I don't know if those are eagles' wings or not, but they're wings. So you get this lion body with wings and a, ma a man's head on it. So again, in Babylon, uh, using these, uh, their own um, imagery to describe themselves or, or what images are important to them. And so God just makes that parallel. And so that's easy for Daniel to see and anyone living in that day. And Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, describes Babylon as a lion too. In chapter 4, verse 7 of Jeremiah's book, it says, A lion has come out of the, his lyre, and a destroyer of nations has set out. Okay, so we have several parallels or several uh, instances of proof showing that this lion with eagle's wings is representation of Babylon. Okay, so Babylon's the head of gold. Babylon is the lion with eagle's wings, and it dominates uh, that area from 605 through 539 BCE. So about 70 or so years in its full dominion power. We read about uh, Babylon in uh, the book of Daniel, as well as in the book of Jeremiah and, 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 and um, 2 Kings, uh, with destroying the temple and taking Judah captive. So it parallels with the Bible. And that's important of all these kingdoms, they all have to do with the Bible and, and where the Bible is, where the Bible's being taught, and where God's people are. Right? So he's not going to be talking about all the kingdoms of the world. Right? We saw Daniel chapter 2, and again, we'll see the parallel again tonight. The Bible is not the history of the entire world. The Bible is not the history of the entire universe. The Bible is not the history of God. The Bible is only the history of God's working among his people here on this earth. So it primarily is. That doesn't mean that you know, China or Russia or North Korea or South Korea or Africa or South America or all these other kingdoms aren't important to God. God loves them all. But he's just depicting where the history of his major interaction with humanity has taken place. And when Babylon, Babylon was ruling over the area of Israel and directly impacting the temple and the worship of God and the word of God. And so they are depicted there. We're going to see that with every single kingdom in Daniel 2, Daniel 7, and all throughout Daniel and all throughout Revelation. And anyone who tries to jump to something else is jumping off onto a tangent, going off and, and in a different direction other than what the Bible is trying to depict there. That's using the newspapers to try and, oh, this sounds like a powerful nation. All of a sudden, they, they, they try and put them into Bible prophecy. It only has to do, Bible prophecy only has to do with Bible prophecy. <laughs> where Bible is being prophesied, where the Bible is taking place. Very important principle for us to understand in getting this correct. Okay, so the next kingdom is this bear, and it parallels the silver. The next kingdom uh, depicted in the Bible, the next one that has interaction with God's people, and the word of God. And so it's a bear, also coming up out of the water, with uh, three ribs in its mouth, as it's described here, and suddenly another beast, a second, like a bear, and it was raised up on one side. And remember, we saw Babylon is taken over by the Medo-Persians, and so that paralleled the silver kingdom, 
in Daniel chapter 2. And so here the bear, and it's raised up on one side because the Medo-Persian kingdom is a two-nation kingdom. It was a two-nation kingdom. The Medes and the Persians joined forces together. And uh, for a while, in the beginning, the Medes were the more powerful of the two. The Persians end up getting more power, and then all the kings become Persian kings from there on. But they remained together. It stayed, stayed as a unified uh, kingdom. Uh, two different people groups still united as a kingdom, but one side is raised up. Now, this is prophetic for Daniel, because when this prophecy is taking place, Babylon hasn't been destroyed, Medo-Persian hasn't come on the scene yet, and yet he's prophesying that that's what's going to happen, and one side of it is going to be raised up more powerful than the other. And it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. Again, amazing accuracy how the Bible is describing this. Three ribs in its mouth. Ba Medo-Persians not only took over Babylon, they also conquered Egypt, and they also conquered Lydia, which is now today's Turkey area. And so three major nations were taken over by the Medo-Persians, symbolized in the three ribs in the bear's mouth, devouring them and taking them over. So again, amazing, amazing, amazing accuracy. And they said thus to it, arise and devour much flesh. And the Medo-Persians did that. They went and they killed many as they conquered in, uh, in their domination. So the Medo-Persians reigned from 539 to about 331 BCE. So about 200 years of the Medo-Persians ruling over uh, Israel and that area. And again, having direct impact on the spread of the word of God. And we have some Bible stories that parallel that in the book of Daniel, where the handwriting on the wall comes, and, and uh, Daniel uh, is there at the scene and says that Babylon's going to be taken over by the Medes and Persians. We covered that also. Again, you can see that on, on uh, shalomadventure.com, Daniel chapter 5. We also have the book of Esther that takes place during this time period of the Persian, Medo-Persian domination over, over Israel. And uh, Cyrus allows the Jewish people to go back. We also have the books of Ezra and Nehemiah taking place during that time as well. So again, Bible history being recorded in these prophecies. So again, the Medo-Persians representing the second kingdom, paralleling the silver kingdom. Then a third kingdom, a third power, a third great beast. And after this, I looked and there was another like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. All right, so you got a leopard animal and four wings of a bird. All right, so uh, if you have, uh, what are wings used for, right? You, wings are used for flying, right? And so if you said that I was driving down the road and a car came flying past me, right? Did that mean it took off the ground and it was, you know, airborne? Is that what it means? Or, or you say it was flying past me, you're just saying it was going really fast, right? So flying, wings are used for flying. Flying represents speed. Right? So you got this very, very, and if it's got not just two wings, it's got four wings. This is going super fast, and you put super fast four wings on top of a fast animal like a leopard, and he is just, choo, shooting down the road, right? He's just very fast. Well, the next kingdom that took over the, uh, the Medo, well, before we get to that, well, I'll tell you, you know it already, right? Daniel chapter 2, the Medo Persians are taken over by the Greeks, right? And so the Greek kingdom was championed, the first major uh, king that then begins conquering and conquers 
the, uh, the Medo-Persian kingdom is Alexander the Great, right? Alexander the Great, and that's going to be significant, as we'll see some more parallels in, in later chapters. So Alexander the Great, he was very rapid in his conquest. That's what he's known for. Very, very speed. And again, Daniel, Daniel didn't live to, to Alexander's day. And so for God to show this and for him to pen this is so amazingly accurate that liberal Bible scholars, so-called, who say they believe in the Bible but don't really believe in the Bible, they don't believe that the Bible was written by Daniel. <laughs> it's too, too accurate. So they believe it was written later on by someone else who said he was Daniel and named it Daniel. Because they can't believe it. It's so accurate. It's so amazing. How could anyone know that? Uh, so Alexander conquers so quickly, so rapidly. By the age of 33, he's conquered the then known world. Nothing else to conquer. And so he gets drunk and he dies and, and, and uh, dies uh, swallowing his, his own vomit. Couldn't conquer self. But he conquered the world very, very rapidly, very, very quickly. About the same age as Yeshua who did conquer self, and thus won the world, right? And saves the world. That's interesting parallels between those two. Now, it then says, the beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. So it's a leopard, but a four-headed leopard with four wings. And as we look in Daniel chapter 8, we'll get to another week, it says the four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation. So the four heads represent four nations that stand up out of the one nation. So as Alexander's conquering, again, a young man, and uh, the story goes that they asked him, uh, who is going to reign after you? And he replied, the strongest. And so after he dies, his four generals begin to battle it out for uh, rulership over the kingdom. No one gets strong enough and gains supremacy, so it gets divided into these four different kingdoms by these four generals. Cassandra, I don't know, maybe you can pronounce the next one, Listerine or something like that, right? Uh, Ptolemy and Seleucus, right? So these four end up dividing the kingdom, and this is what it looked like. And as you look at the, the, the two, Seleucus and Ptolemy, who's, where's the dividing line? Can you see that? Where's the dividing line between those two? Israel. Israel divides those two, the, 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 the eastern kingdom and the southern kingdom, uh, with southern going over Egypt, the eastern kingdom over today's Iran, um, Jordan, that area. They're dividing right in the middle of Israel. And thus the two of them constantly fighting each other to gain supremacy, to gain a little bit more territory, or to gain a lot more territory. And so Israel becomes the tug of war place. It becomes ground zero for their battles. And, and we see that, and we see that in history. We see that in the book of Maccabees. That's where the whole Maccabee story and the whole Hanukkah story takes place because of those two in particular segments of the Greek nation. It was still a Greek nation, just with these four segments to it. Uh, but they didn't get along, and they were battling it out. And that's, so that's where we have the Hanukkah story take place. So the Greece kingdom from 331... BCE to 168 uh, BCE. So also, you know, give or take a little less than 200 years. Which also is very interesting. People look at this 200 years. It seems to come up in, in nations reigning and having their power and dominion. Uh, only about so long that people, like nations last. 
Uh, not always, but uh, kind of an interesting analogy sometimes people make. So anyway, so the Maccabees, we have the Bible story of the Maccabees. Again, this kingdom is interacting directly with God's people, allowing us and not allowing us to have worship and share the word of God and live out the word of God. So again, our third kingdom, we move on to our fourth one. And after this, I saw in the night vision, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and exceedingly strong. All right, so it's so nondescript. He can't even, it doesn't even look like anything that he's ever seen before. He can't even describe it as like a lion or like a bear or like a leopard. And he just says a beast and just dreadful, terrible, exceedingly strong. Now, when it mentioned the parallel for this one is the iron of the legs, it said, iron as strong as iron so we got that word strong parallel in both chapters and then it goes on describing this beast and it had huge iron teeth and it was devouring breaking in pieces and tramping the, trampling the residue with its feet so we have parallels before between the two chapters and we have direct uh description of these nations can alexander dividing them into four kingdoms the beast the leopard had four heads. I mean, how, so accurate, so amazingly accurate. This one also, iron teeth. And Rome comes along and uses iron in its military might. Iron, uh, Rome reigns from 168 BC to 476 AD or CE. And uh, so that's more than 200 years. It reigns for a long time, uh, historically. What, 600 or so years or more than that, six, 700 years. Um, and... Um, and so it has a, a lot of influence for a long time. But again, all of its influence having to do with the Bible and Bible people, right? That's when uh, Yeshua is born during that time. Yeshua dies during that time. The temple is destroyed during that time. And again, the Romans using iron uh, in their military might, their swords and shields and, and armor. And so very good description, very accurate description long after Daniel's day, but God sees everything. God sees down to history. And God sees all those other nations that aren't mentioned in these prophecies also. He just doesn't necessarily talk about them in prophecy because that's not where the focus is for the prophecy. God still loves everyone. The Messiah still came for everyone. Messiah still laid down his life and as a sacrifice for everyone. It's just Bible prophecy focusing on the areas where the Bible is primarily being shared and received. That's the key. So again, the temple being destroyed during the time of Roman, Roman dominion. So there we have our parallels, our four parallels, the four metals, and the four beasts. Um, very good paralleling all the way through, but there's five divisions. So we're going to come to this fifth division down to the toes and the clay. Both iron still there, iron in the legs, and iron down to the feet. Okay, so before we go there, um, this is in Nuremberg. This is a building in Nuremberg, right? If you're familiar with the town Nuremberg, Germany, uh, you might know of it in relation to the Nuremberg trials, right? The Nazis, the Nazis were tried in the Nuremberg trials in this city. Now, this building is what was the city hall. It's no longer the city hall, but it was the city hall at one time. Now, you'll notice above some of these doors, above the doors there, you see some statues up there. Now, let's kind of zoom in on these statues. 
If you look to the one on the left, start with the left, you see behind the man sitting there is a lion with eagle's wings. And the man is dressed in Babylonian garb. On the right is a bear with one side raised up and three ribs in its mouth. And in front of him is a guy sitting there with Persian robes on. This other door on the left, there's a leopard with four heads on it. And there's a man in Greek clothing, Greek armor. And then on the right, there's this undescript beast with horns coming out of his head and a man in front of him with a Roman helmet on. And so uh, Germany was the seat of the Protestant Reformation. And so they interpreted, Luther and others interpreted the prophecies exactly. We are doing exactly as they did it then during the Protestant Reformation. They saw these four kingdoms. They saw these four beasts the same way we've just outlined them here. And so same with Daniel 2, outlining it the same way. So we're not making something up new here. I'm not some brilliant uh, interpreter or anything. We're just letting the Bible explain itself and following with historical um, prophetic interpretation, which has stood the test of time and is accurate. Unfortunately, today, a lot of people, again, they get off the Daniel 2 platform, they get off that foundation, they get off that blueprint, and they'll go uh, for a while with the same thing, and then they'll jump somewhere else, or they'll jump again with the newspaper, or whatever it seems to think is the, is the common thing, and they'll get off on all kinds of tangents. You stay with the blueprint, it'll be accurate all the way through. Okay, so back to the beast. Daniel chapter 7, verse 7. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Now, when we saw in Daniel 2, it mentioned the statue, and we got down to the feet. It specifically mentioned that the statue had ten toes. Now, it didn't have to mention that it had ten toes. I mean, that's obvious. If it's a statue of a man, it's going to have ten toes. It didn't mention he had ten hands of ten fingers. It didn't mention that he had two ears, you know, or two eyes. But it specifically mentioned that he had ten toes because the ten is significant, and the same thing here with this beast, it has 10 horns. So the parallel there. Now it's still the same beast. These horns are coming up out of this beast. So it's not a different beast, it's not a different metal, it's not another kingdom, it's still the same kingdom. Rome continues to have its influence all the way to the end of time. Now it changes, just like in the statue, it went from solid gold, a solid iron, to iron mixed with clay. So a change takes place, but the Roman influence is still there all the way to the end because there's no other kingdom beyond the feet. The stone comes and crushes the whole statue and it's done. And the same, there's no fifth beast, there's no next thing. This is it, it takes us this Roman influence and this 10 kingdoms all the way to the very end. And so Rome, Rome wasn't taken over by another kingdom, like Babylon was taken over by Medo-Persia, Medo-Persia taken over by Greece, and, you know, overnight, boom, uh, in a military battle that can be, you know, recorded or designated as this was the deciding factor, and Rome taking over Greece. Uh, but no Roman fell. Rome, Rome deteriorated, deteriorated from within and collapsed on itself, slowly being chipped away. And so the ten horns represent these ten kings that Rome ends up dividing up to. And so starting around uh, 476 um, CE or AD, 
That's when these Rome, the Roman uh, Empire divides into these ten main kingdoms. And so just as in Daniel 2, just as you saw, the feet and the toes were partially of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. And so it divides up. And the ten horns of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise. And again, it's not so much the individual kings, but representing these individual kingdoms that comes out of the Roman Empire. And here's a picture of the list of the various, the ten various kings. And so when Rome destroys Jerusalem in 70 AD, and then there's another revolt 65 or so years later in 135 AD, and Rome crushes that, the Bar Kokhba revolt, Rome crushes that and then destroys basically everything and disperses us. Where does the Bible go? Where does the majority of the believers then are seen in the world? Right? Where is Corinth and uh, Philippi and, and um, uh, Thessalonica? Those are all in Greece. Right? And then Rome, the book of Romans in the Bible, Rome is in it, today's Italy, right? So these are the areas where the Bible then shifted to is the area where the majority of people went. Now there were some missionaries, right? We have uh, Philip going to India and, and other places and the gospel went to other places. We have the, uh, an Ethiopian treasurer that comes and he becomes a believer and no doubt the gospel is taken there. But primarily the Bible begins to shift its focus where it's believed and then translated, right? Where was the Bible first uh, printed? In Europe, right? So, so this is where the, the emphasis in the prophecies move. Again, it's not that the people in India or Africa were not important, Ethiopia, are not important to God. They are. But as far as the prophecies, it's following the train of where the scriptures are being taught, where the scriptures are primarily being promoted and accepted. That's the key. So it shifts over here. It shifts to, to uh, this part of the Roman kingdom and to what is today's Europe. And so you have the ten kingdoms, uh, three of them get knocked out, the Vandals, the Heruli, and the Ostrogoths, and so there's a list of them, the original names, and now their current names, and the three that are now extinct. Back to Daniel 2, as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men. And we looked at that, there was attempts to re reunite this kingdom, these ten kingdoms and bring it back together with mingling of the seed of men, intermarrying between uh, prince and princesses to try and make alliances and bring unity together, and it did not work time and time again, attempt, 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 and it would not hold together. But they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And then there were other attempts, there were military attempts and political attempts, of conquest. We have uh, uh, um, Napoleon and, and, and Hitler uh, and various others trying to conquer all of it and, and unite it all under one kingdom and it never held. Right? And today we have the European Union trying to hold it together and it's still a divided kingdom not holding together and will not hold together because the Bible says it will not hold together. Will not be one unified thing. So then we had the Daniel 2 and we had the Daniel 7 with direct parallels all the way through 
which again is key. It's all just setting the stage, making it simple for us, taking us step by step. Just like in math, you learn addition and subtraction first, and it's kind of easy. You can show it with blocks and, and things, right? You got two apples, and you take away one apple, right? And a, a little child can visualize that and count, uh, and it makes it simple. Then it gets a little bit more detailed with multiplication and division, and it's building, 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 building into trigonometry and uh, sadistics or statistics and you know whatever you want uh, as it continues on. Well, the same with Bible prophecy. It's starting here with a simple and building and building and building and building. And, and you can't get into you know, deep math if you don't know how to add, right? Or, or if you refuse to multiply. Uh, they, it continues to add, right? So that all needs to stay along and continue on while it continues to expand. And so we learned a little bit more about these kingdoms from the extra parts of it, the extra parts of the prophecy, uh, the four divisions of, of Alexander, the, the, the Greek kingdom, various different things like that, told us a little bit more information, important information. But then it goes on and it continues from there to now the next aspect within these kingdoms. As I consider, this is Daniel 7, verse 8, as I considered the horns, so these are the ten horns, Daniel's looking at the ten horns, and so he's considering the ten horns that came up out of Rome, and he's looking at that, and he's thinking about that, and now it's going to take us to the next step in this prophecy. Now we're getting to more expansion in the prophecy. But again, it's key to keep the symbols together. Right? So again, Daniel 7, verse 8, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn. So if this little horn is coming up among them, right, and it's coming up, so what, what beast is it coming up out of? This fourth beast, right? And this fourth beast represents what nation? What kingdom? What empire? The Roman Empire, right? So this, it has to come out, this little horn comes up out of, it's coming up among these ten, it's coming up out of the Roman kingdom. That is so key, right? It's not coming up out of Mars somewhere, right? He's coming up out of this same kingdom. So this little horn comes up uh, from within the ten, so within Europe, within the Roman, what was the Roman Empire, that's where this little horn power comes up. And back to those statues, uh, they have that beast there, and you see there's an eleventh horn with a little man's head on it, and, uh, and uh, that's how the prophecy continues. And that we will pick up another week. Right, we don't have time to get into all of it tonight. Uh, so we just lay in the groundwork, lay in the groundwork, lay in the groundwork. And another week we'll pick up right here with this little horn power, which is very, very, very significant. Because again, we saw Rome's influence goes to the very end of time and will take us into our time. And understanding this will help us to understand the days that we are living in. But in all of this, the focus is not on the metals, the focus is not on the beast, the focus is not on the horns, the focus is on the lamb. The focus is on the Lord, who knows all these things, who knows the end from the beginning, and that's why he lays us out for us, demonstrating, I know everything. I know the end from the beginning. I'm not going to be, God saying, I'm not going to be surprised by anything. I know all these kingdoms. I know them before they were even uh, came about. I knew, remember we saw that uh, uh, Cyrus of the Medo-Persians was mentioned by name hundreds of years before he was born. 
God says, I know them all. I know them all. I know all about the Medes, Persians. I know all about the Romans. I know all about the Greeks. I know about Alexander the Great before he's born. I know about all the Caesars. He knows it all. And so he's depicting and able to depict it for us because he is the king of kings. He's outlived them all. He was before them and he continues on after them. And thus he is the one who will destroy it all and create all a new heavens and new earth. Nothing is over him. Nothing is more powerful than him. And so as we come to these last days, and there will be troubles. There will be troublesome times. As there were troublesome times, under the Babylonians, they destroyed our temple. Under the Romans, they destroyed our temple. Under the Medes and Persians, right? The Haman wanted to kill us all. Under the Greeks, they had problems, right? That the, that the Maccabees needed to come and deliver us. There's going to be troubles, but God is over the troubles and God has seen us through each of these problems. And so God has existed before and after all these kingdoms and God's people have lived before and continue after all of these kingdoms. That's the message. That's the key. That's the reason he shows us these things so that we can know the day that we're living in. We can know the things that are at hand and we can be assured that we are on God's side and that God is the winner that God is who wins and we are on the winning side. And so through all the troubles, through all the struggles, through being thrown in lion's dens and, and, and all other kinds of things, God will see us through. Fiery furnaces, God will see us through as we hold on and we hang on to him and ride along with him. Stay with the lamb. Don't worry about the beast. We need to know about them. But stay, keep our focus on the lamb. And so whatever trouble you're going through right now, maybe you're going through some fiery furnace or some difficulty or some lion's den, or maybe there's some kingdoms ruling over you, some powers that are threatening you. Some, maybe you're getting some letters from the government or letters from your landlord or, or letters of being sued by some tenant or, or, or some relative or some neighbor, someone threatening you, some boss or some influence. That's claiming dominion and power over you. Trust in the Lord. Rest in him. And whatever your cares are, whatever your worries are, maybe financial struggles, maybe interpersonal problems you're going through, God is over all the problems. God will see us through the problems. God knows the end from the beginning. He knew this problem was going to come into your life. He knew about this situation. And he has prepared you for it, and he has paid the way, paved the way for it, he has paid the price for it, and he will take you through it. The key is for eternity. The important part is eternity, not in this life, not in these things. Right? They can have all these things, they can take away all these things, it doesn't matter. The important part is that we have the Lord. That's what counts. So if your health is your concern, friendships are your concern, whatever your concern is, your future. Trust the Lord. He knows the future. He knows the end and the beginning. He knows all things. He knows it all. He sees it all. And he knows the plans that he has specifically for you. Trust him with it. As we, I mean, certainly Daniel, you know, participated and the Maccabees rose up and did their deal. And, and uh, Ezra and Nehemiah rebuilt the temple, right? There's a part for us to play. But through the part we play, we're trusting the Lord. So there's this waiting and working all in the same time. There's this faith in our, and God's effort through us 
all playing together at the same time. So we need to learn, we need to grow, we need to understand, we need to prepare, and we need to keep our eyes on the Lord and trust in Him. Moving forward on our knees. Right? So we're moving forward, moving forward in prayer, moving forward in trust, moving forward in faith with the Lord, following His lead, trusting in Him. Because He is truly the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and is over all dominions and all powers, right? And so even there, Nuremberg, right? A very interesting town to have that thing, right? Nuremberg, right? Where the Nazis were tried. <laughs> Not in that building, but in that city, right? The Nazis threatened us, and they were tried right there, right? Right there next to those four statues, right? That's where they came down, just like all those other, Babylon came down, Medo-Persia came down, Greece came down, Rome came down, and will totally come down. The Nazis came down. It all will come down. The only thing that will remain are these three things. Faith, hope, and love. Right? And the greatest of these is love. And God is love. And that's what counts. And so as we prepare to pray together, there's some area God's speaking to your heart and mind about. Maybe you're needing more faith. Maybe you're going through some struggle. And you've been strengthened in seeing God knows it all. God knew about what was going to happen to the temple, the first temple, second temple, God knew what was going to happen to Babylon. He's going to know what happened to Daniel. He's going to know. God knows what's going to happen to me too. He knows you. He knows your name. He knows you by name. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows the plans he has for you. He knows the future for you. He knows you and he loves you. Just as he knew these kingdoms and these powers, he knows you. He knows me. He cares about the sparrow. Every sparrow that falls, he, he cares. And the flowers that are here today, gone tomorrow. And if he cares about the flowers, how much more does he care about you? Nothing goes without his notice. Some things get more prominence in the word of God or in history or in life. That doesn't mean the other people and the other aspects aren't just as important. And you are just as important to God as Daniel or Yeshua himself. He loves you with an everlasting love. And so if you're needing faith and needing courage, whatever problem, struggle, health, finances, situation you're going through, the moment when we pray, I invite you to surrender that to the Lord and trust in him and rest in him. Or secondly, if there's some sin in your life, some area in your life, some area that's not right with the Lord. Be right with the Lord. Because the end is coming. We're living in the very toes of the statue. We're living at the very end of the, of the beasts. There's no more again after. We're down to the end. That's bringing us to the end. May there be no, no sin on our record. Let the blood of Messiah cleanse it, wash it clean, so we can stand before the Lord as a bride without blemish. Cleansed in the forgiveness of the Lord, filled with his spirit. And so in a moment as we pray, if there's any area in your life that's in rebellion against God, surrender it to him. Any resistance, any denial, any unbelief, surrender it to the Lord. I hope our faith has been strengthened to see God's word is true. God's word is accurate. Maybe there's some other area in your life 
some fears, some concerns, some problems. Trust in the Lord. Hold fast in him. Let God do his mighty work in your behalf. Let us pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we are thankful that you are the beginning and you are the end. You are the Aleph and the Tav. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are from age to age. Nothing goes beyond your notice. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for crying with us. And thank you for laughing with us. Thank you for being touched with our feelings and our infirmities. Thank you for loving us with an everlasting love. Thank you that as you've taken us in the past, you'll take us through our future as well. Strengthen our faith. Take us through whatever individually we're going through now. And hold us fast together. Hold us fast in you. In Yeshua's holy name. Amen.